0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, ECFR's broadcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world. My name is Mark Leonard, I'm Director of the European Council on Foreign Relations and today we're going to be having the second of our special podcasts on the British election. But this time we're going to look at how it's seen from the outside in and to try and work out what the results will mean for Britain's membership of the EU but also the development of the EU going forward. For this discussion, I'm joined today by three colleagues. With me in London is Silvia Francescon, who's the head of our office in Rome. And on the phone, we're joined by Josef Janning, who's a senior policy fellow at our Berlin office, and Piotr Burras, who is the head of ECFR's office in Warsaw. So the election took place on the 7th of May. The polls, as we know, predicted a head to head race, but as in 1992, turned out that they were dramatically wrong. And in another echo of the 1992 election, what we've seen emerging is a conservative government with a very small uh, majority and uh, the uh, knowledge that Europe will be one of the big dividing lines within the government in the years going forward. One of the first things that David Cameron did was to announce that he was going to hold a referendum on Britain's membership of the European Union sometime before 2017, though it now looks like it could be a lot earlier than that, sometime next year probably. And he has also announced that he will negotiate uh, new terms for Britain in the European Union, including the dreaded treaty change, which many people in other capitals have been resisting. So what I'd like to do today is to Try and split the conversation into three parts. To start with a quick sense of of what you think the reactions to Cameron's re-election are in different places, and then to go into some of the details of what uh, could happen within a renegotiation, whether treaty changes on the cards um, or not, and um, also to think about some of the particular issues to do with that renegotiation. And there are two that I'd like to to look at in particular. One is the question about the relationship between euro ins and outs and the other is to do with the question of migration and free movement, which I think will be one of the central features of a British referendum in, uh, whence uh, the people are actually consulted. So maybe we just start with the immediate reactions to the election. Um, Josef, do you want to go first and tell us how Berlin saw the, the crisis? Sorry, crisis. Uh, we haven't had the crisis yet. The re-election of the Cameron government. <laughs> Was it a crisis? <laughs> well, the,
1: the Berlin view has been a rather uh, relaxed and sober one. You know, on the one hand, when you look at the uh, grand coalition of Social Democrats and Christian Democrats, the Christian Democrats and the Chancellor Merkel... Uh, are not particularly enthusiastic about Cameron because, after all, uh, Cameron led the uh, Tories out of the EPP faction in the European Parliament and is now considered to be opposition rather uh, than a, a an ally in this. The Social Democrats would have liked to see uh, a Labour government, obviously, uh, but I think on both sides of the government, um, the expectation that it would have made a a huge change uh, if Labour had won regarding the referendum and in, in-out question, uh, you know, th- th- this is not uh, certain. Uh, people here um, uh, would have uh, expected a Labour government that would have been constantly un- been under pressure from from a Tory side that would go wild over uh, the EU issue and the membership issue. So, um, as it is, um, Merkel would say, we take it as it comes, uh, and so Berlin is getting ready to to see what Britain wants and, and uh, if there is a way to somehow accommodate uh, the uh, uh, British claims.
0: There does seem to be a difference in tone from Angela Merkel and from Wolfgang Scheibler. Scheibler seems to have been less friendly to the British approach. I think he already shot down um, George Osborne in their first meeting in Brussels yesterday and talked about how uh, I think there was some slightly undiplomatic language used about what Britain was trying to do.
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, You know, Schäuble is the one person in the government um, and a senior one, too, uh, who is really serious about treaty change. But when he thinks about treaty change, it is not about another round of uh, uh, identifying cherries to pick, but it would be about uh, a rather uh, limited uh, strengthening of Eurozone governance. And he would not like to see this uh, being um, uh, confused by, by some other claims. Schäuble also believes that while he, while he thinks treaty change in the midterm is necessary, he does not see the necessary consensus there. So he, he's not really interested in seeing the British government um, uh, fiddling with the Pandora's box of treaty change.
0: Okay, well, we'll go a bit bit into more depth on that afterwards. Sylvia, what what did Rome think of the the election results?
2: Well, um, hello, everybody. Um, There's no panic, obviously. Actually, I have to say that uh, Prime Minister Renzi kind of uh, get along well with the UK third way of dealing with uh, with Europe uh, somehow. Um, even if, of course, uh, a progressive uh, party like the Democratic Party, represented by Matteo Renzi, Prime Minister of Italy, would have preferred uh, uh, a more leftish um, uh, victory, uh, however, there is no panic. The big, big uh, question mark is uh, on the, on the Brexit and uh, and the referendum, obviously. Uh, they, oh, the Prime Minister, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, they have already said that uh, there is a, a Europe without the UK is inconceivable uh, for many, many reasons, uh, both from uh, for economic reasons, uh, and by the way also for a selfish uh, reason too, because uh, we know that the budget of the EU will uh, be uh, 15 billion lighter if the UK would leave. Uh, Europe, which means that for Italy will be, according to a recent study, 1.4 billion euros more per uh, per year. Uh, So of course there is an economic issue, but uh, there is also a political uh, fear in Italy and this is the domino effect that this could uh, have, especially with the rising of some uh, movements and parties in Italy like the North League. And then, of course, there is uh, the migration issue, as you have already mentioned. And there is also a specifically Italian dimension, because uh, Italian enterprises uh, are almost 700 that are investing in the UK, something like 25 billions per year. And, uh, and this created uh, 50,000 uh, new jobs And many, many Italians are moving to the UK, actually, uh, last year, only last year, there was an increase of 66% of Italians moving to the UK. So there is also an issue there. And just to be very, very straightforward, very recently, the Italian politicians said that the European freedom movement is a principle that for Italy is non-negotiable just to make the things clear so since there, the beginning. There
0: could be a lot of Italians stranded, stranded in, in Britain if, um, if we end up leaving, which is also obviously a problem for, for Poland, isn't it? We're going to go more into the details on the different aspects of migration uh, a bit later on, Piotr. But what was the initial reaction in Warsaw to the election?
3: Yeah, Mark, Mark, I think you you need to take into account that Poland is preoccupied very much with uh, our own political mess after the presidential, first round of the presidential election. But, of course, Poland has followed uh, the uh, British election very closely. And I think uh, everybody was surprised that uh, Cameron... um, was able to uh, achieve such a good result, then probably many also in the government uh, would have wished for a success of more pro european forces but I think at the moment um, given the fact that uh, we consider the British issue in Europe as a largely um, domestic issue of, of British politics, the main question that people ask themselves is will this Mm, electoral success uh, of david Cameron um, mean that he is uh, getting strengthened mm, with regard to the European mm, uh, issue will he be able to uh, use this success as an argument within uh, the Co- Conservative Party to make a case for Europe, or just in opposite? Uh, the, will the slim majority he has uh, in the Parliament make him even more a hostage of the uh, Eurosceptics within the Tory Party? Because there are two readings, and nobody has um, an answer: what is really the, what is really the case? And and uh, the second thing I I would say, which is important for for Poland, is that uh, the Polish government uh, is waiting for a a wish list of of the British uh, the British government because we. Uh, there is a lot of talk of, of uh, British demands, uh, British expectations for uh, the EU to to change and to uh, 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 renegotiation or reform agenda, but we don't really know exactly what what the British government wants and what kind of um, concessions or what kind of uh, reforms could really accommodate uh, British interests and and the interests of the of the British people, and and thirdly. Uh, uh this is the, the issue of the treaty change, which is a, a non-issue in, 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 in Poland. I mean, something uh, the Polish government opposes uh, very uh, strictly. And one of the reasons for that is uh, exactly what Joseph said about uh, Schäuble's uh, agenda, Schäuble's uh, idea. The, the concern in Poland is that a treaty change um, will open... Uh, the door for a uh, substantial um reform of the eurozone and um, f- the creation of a really a a hardcore of um, um, of europe um, which wouldn't be such a big problem i think for for the uk um if, if the interests of the eurozone outs would be protected but it would be a problem for poland for a country which has the aspiration to join the core of europe uh, at a certain point of time in the future
0: so that launched us i think very well into the second set of questions which is essentially about um the core of of what will be in any renegotiation we haven't seen a formal wish list but we have quite a good idea of the things that David Cameron um, has put on the agenda. He's made two major speeches, the Bloomberg speech a couple of years ago, and then last year, his speech on on migration. And it seems that the main baskets of issues are uh, a whole series of of normal reforms which the EU's already embarked upon in the area of competitiveness, free trade, uh, liberalising, deepening the single market, um, cutting red tape, But those are not going to be specific to to Britain and are certainly not going to require um, any treaty change. They're things which are going on anyway. So they'll be part of a a package which is presented to British people as as part of a new Europe. But there are four sort of areas where there are more uh, tricky issues which relate to Britain, which are involved. So the first is this question of of migration and the rules for for, uh, benefits in particular. There are many uh, Conservative members of Parliament who'd like to restrict free movement, but I think David Cameron understands that that's not possible. So he's putting his energy into looking at... Uh, dealing with some of the issues uh, around fairness, and that one of the particular issues is about access to benefits for people who have just arrived in the UK. And he's talked about making people wait for four years before they receive out of work benefits, but the, the trickiest issue is about in work benefits because the British labour market is structured in a way that gives tax credits and benefits to, to low paid workers. And many uh, people in Britain think that that acts as a pull factor. And there's some interesting statistics which show that if uh, people are paid the same wage in various different countries, the take-home, the minimum wage in different countries, the the wages themselves are not necessarily that different, but the take-home pay is very different as a result of these in-work benefits. So, for example, Open Europe put out some statistics last year where they showed that if... uh, a British worker um, with two dependent children is paid the minimum wage and and gets uh, two hundred and thirty pounds a, a week. Um, if you add in, if you take away the taxes, but you add in all of these benefits, you end up with a weekly package worth five hundred and twenty-seven pounds a week. Whereas if you had uh, a Spanish um, uh, worker who's paid the minimum wage, the salary would be somewhat higher of 433 pounds a week but after tax and all the other things their take-home pay would only be 362 pounds a week and a polish worker is even more dramatic so the 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 minimum wage would be higher it would be 387 pounds a week but the take-home pay is is 269 pounds a week so it's half what you get within the uk so if you restricted access to benefits to people until they've been around for four years it would make quite a big difference on the quality of the sort of package obviously if there are jobs in the uk and not jobs in other countries there will still be a a pull factor because um having work is going to be better than not having work but this uh has become an important part of the 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 british approach so that would be the kind of first set of issues the second set of issues is around the protection of the non-eurozone uh Uh, Members um, from caucusing by the Eurozone and the the protection of the integrity of the internal market. And the third set of issues is, is I think, to do with um, the role of national parliaments and whether you could move from the sort of yellow card procedure, which allows, uh, I think, 40% of national parliaments to block uh, well, to, to 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 put a yellow card in uh, w- when they don't like commission proposals, to sh- to change the rules on that so you could actually have a red card if you had a, a similar percentage of national polls. And finally, there is the question of, of uh, ever closer union, um, which is more symbolic than real. Um, but I think there's a there's a, certainly a hope in the foreign office before the election that you might be able to come up with some sort of package um, which might include um, some, some treaty changes, but treaty change is also going to be a, a kind of a weasel word here, because um, it's absolutely clear to me that there's no desire to have an IGC and a major reform of the treaties with a constitutional convention in order to deal with the British problem, and that that's unlikely to happen for the Eurozone in the near future. However, um, Cameron has now said he needs treaty change. So the question is whether you can have treaty change that is, that is less ambitious than that and wouldn't trigger a referendum in other countries. So one idea is potentially just to have a list of things which could be in a legally binding protocol, which would then be ratified by member states when they do revise the treaties the next time. Well, there is a danger that if you do that, you could end up... Um, uh, not delivering it before the next election so that people who then, uh, if you won the referendum on that basis, you create uh, a sense that, that, that the promise has been betrayed. But if it's legally binding this protocol, that might not be the case. But anyway, the, the, why don't we put the migration issue to one side for now um, and, and deal with that in, a, in, in our third and final round on this. But in terms of the other questions how do, do you how, how do you think that they look from other member states do you think these are things which might be possible and in particular, maybe start with you Piotr because poland is is uh, one of the other non eurozone members to what extent do these um issues actually feel like they they could have support from 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 other non eurozone members uh, you know that that's quite interesting because of course
3: uh, Poland is uh, the country which uh, perceives itself uh, at the moment still as a eurozone out, really, and not re- even a pre-in. I mean, we are a pre-in because we want to join the eurozone, but we know that we won't join uh, this club uh, in the next uh, ten years, probably. So, this is uh, the self-perception as, as a eurozone out is um, uh, quite uh, um, uh, clear in, in Poland but at the same time i think uh, these concerns that the eurozone mm, um, in its current form before or without a uh, major treaty change will mm, form a um, unaccessible caucus for for poland these concerns they were quite um, strong uh, one two years ago but i think this uh, the discussion is is at the moment it's not so so vivid in poland um, and one of the reasons is that uh, in the negotiations about the banking union about fiscal pact um, and few others uh, we have achieved quite a lot and and uh, i think at the moment the polish government is quite satisfied with the current um, stage uh, state of affairs and uh, with uh, the uh, opportunities um, it has um, for for voicing um, its uh, concerns or its uh, interests, uh, also within the eurozone and in the matters um, with which uh, the eurozone is dealing. Uh, so I think this uh, this appetite uh, for for some uh, major changes uh, and the need for for um, some major changes which would preserve uh, or the rights of of the eurozone outs, um, um is rather limited. So I think here uh, this this uh, we have the feeling that the eurozone. Uh, basically, has met quite a lot of expectations um, of, of Poland and other countries. Um, so, so there is no such need for for any major um, major reforms or major adjustments um, at the moment.
0: Okay. What, what about for you, Sylvia? Do you think how? What do you think of the, that kind of agenda that I laid out? How realistic do you think that is from an Italian perspective?
2: Yeah, well, as uh, Piotr said, uh, it's not really a vibrant debate in Italy because obviously the migration issue is uh, taking uh, the, uh, all the attention. However, I have to say, in terms of reforms, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Matteo Renzi, the Italian prime minister, likes the way Cameron uh, deals with Europe in terms of uh, being uh, uh, critical to some some uh, of the of the main issues. Uh, the, his third way of dealing with the EU, as I mentioned before, so um, he
0: likes Matteo Renzi. Likes to say that we want to be a laboratory rather than a museum.
2: <laughs> well, Matteo Renzi <laughs> says that uh, we are strongly European, but we don't like this Europe. Yeah. Uh, and this is pretty clear. And uh, changes uh, need to happen in Europe. Uh, Uh, The issue of the treaty change is not uh, on the debate, even though my sense is is that Italy would react in the sense that let's avoid it because it would open, again, a Pandora box. And uh, perhaps there's no need to do that. We can do it otherwise, but definitely some reforms need to be put forward. So in this sense, uh, we can say that he's also sympathetic to what... uh, Cameron uh, uh, proposes. I mean, changing this specific kind of of Europe. Um, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, and there are also big movements in Italy, like the Five Stars Movement, uh, that are very critical of the EU legitimacy, and this uh, is uh, they are closer to the UKIP than to Cameron. I have to say, but still. It's uh, that kind of sentiment is there. We need to change this Europe and we need to reform it. We don't need you, uh, uh, though, uh, the, that uh, the UK leaves Europe. We don't need to uh, a treaty change, but we need to reform.
0: And, Josef, I think the place where Cameron has focused the most attention, and, and uh, certainly if you look at the British debate, it does feel like. This is going to be more in negotiation with one capital than the other twenty-seven. What, what what do you think Berlin's perspective is on that list of uh, of demands that uh, that I laid out earlier? Will be
1: as a package, it looks too maximalist for uh, to be acceptable in Berlin. Uh, but there are elements in that where uh, German policymakers w- uh, would say, "Let's let's try to find a way. Let's try to find uh, uh, whether we can't accommodate that somehow." You know, uh, Merkel uh, uh, and her colleagues in the government have no interest in seeing Britain leaving, but they also have no interest in seeing the EU being diluted uh, or watered down further. So, you know, this this ever closer union uh, phrase from from the treaties, from the preamble, um, is rather significant. So uh, the German uh, reaction would be, uh do not touch it you know we can we can have a declaration on the future of the union in which we uh, um, uh, reflect also the, the the diversity of views about the trajectory of the eu but uh that 's not uh, uh, launch a formal treaty change process uh to uh, over symbolics uh, like that secondly. I think the uh, uh, Eurozone split is seen very differently in Berlin. You know, from, from the German perspective, um, the, Euro, the Euro is part of the Maastricht Treaty, which has been um, signed and ratified by all member states. So what they do inside the eurozone, they don't uh, regard as a pet project of a few member states, but rather as something that the EU as at, at large, uh, everyone in the EU has accepted and underwritten, but not everyone is implementing. So in that sense, Germany's interest is is consistent in seeking to enlarge the eurozone, in keeping it together, but also in doing what uh, they think is necessary uh, to. Uh, 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 keep eurozone governance to a level uh, that's required by, by the markets, by the facts of fiscal policy, and in that sense, uh, they would deny that that they are splitting uh, the EU by this. Uh, when it comes to you know very specific uh, um, uh, items uh, on a possible eurozone governance agenda there's certainly an interest to see that uh, uh, other member states are not shut out, particularly because of this, of this interest in kind of nurturing the pre ins uh, and not offending them. Um, this uh, kind of uh, um, uh, reluctance does not so much go for Britain, because Britain has made it very clear that it, for Britain it is a, a never issue uh, rather than a not yet issue. You now on other things, uh, such as the red card, Um, I don't think that that the German government uh, would like to see that implemented, but I could see them accepting the idea that, for example, national parliaments could appeal to the European Council in such a situation uh, and say we ask the European Council uh, to uh, uh, put a hold on this um, with uh, the backing of uh, of a a substantial threshold of national parliaments. That could be a way. Uh, Likewise, one could... uh, um, see other uh, arrangements uh, about uh, um, uh, the application or uh, the the use of EU rules under the fairness argument, Mark, that you made in the beginning. But from a Berlin perspective, uh, you know, the, the uh, unwritten or unspoken advice to London would be uh, try to uh, frame whatever you want as a positive agenda, uh, as an agenda that would bring Europe forward, but rather than an agenda that is seen by others as kind of uh, taking Europe apart so I think in Berlin there would be a lot of sympathy uh, to have uh, a strong British commitment on uh, an action plan on the single market including services digital uh, energy even though the Berlin uh, enthusiasm about energy um, an energy single market is not very high but that would be a positive agenda Um, and not insist on things like opting out from single market bylaws, such as the working time directive. That that doesn't doesn't come across as being very constructive.
0: Okay, so we've saved the the biggest and most contentious set of issues for last, because I think if there is a referendum in Britain, the only real issue which is going to command any popular attention is this question of, of migration and mobility. And that is an issue where, there is a divergent interest between, uh, very least between Britain and uh, Southern and Eastern member states. that have quite different ways of looking at things. Piotr, the the Polish um, dimension is the most uh, visible when you walk around British cities and you look at the shops that have opened up here, certainly in terms of the number of people who've moved here in, in, in recent years. Um, How uh, uh, worried are people in Poland about these questions to do with benefits? Do you think that a deal could be done on that if it does mean that the freedom of movement gets preserved?
3: I think, you know, this is, uh, as the Polish government says, uh, the the red line for Poland. Uh, But the red line is uh, not uh, formed by just the changes uh, with regard to the uh freedom of movement or or um, uh, social policies but the the think the the crucial uh, thing is the equal treatment and uh discrimination so whatever uh, um, uh would basically provide for discrimination of part of the um european citizens um that uh, will be probably um uh criticized by the polish government and, and will be refused by the polish government this is the official line and that was before this election And i think it, it it's not going to change after the election
0: but how much of that is is because i mean just to go a bit deeper into that because i suppose what david cameron and other people will say on this as on lots of other issues so much so that it will drive everyone else crazy is you know fine um you know you can say that you want non-discrimination but that will mean that we're going to end up having to leave the European Union and, and nobody's going to be allowed to come here. Given that people are coming here to work rather than to receive benefits, uh, wouldn't it be better to have uh, you know, a, a period where people have to make contributions before they get the in-work benefits, particularly given... That Britain has a, an unusual labour market. There are very few other countries where you have this number of in-work benefits.
3: Yeah, but this is this is also the matter of, of principles. I mean, uh, if you, you you cannot basically this is, and I think there is a consensus among many or most of European states that you cannot basically make exceptions uh, uh, with regard to the freedom of movement and in the freedom of labour uh, movement of labour force because uh that that would uh really uh, open discussions also on many other issues and and that would really open and pandora a box of uh, um, many wish lists of of particular member states poland certainly had uh, they also have lots of uh, demands uh, Regarding uh, Various um, but, but Policies of sorry, the European
0: Union but, but Piotr the question is not about making I mean I, I, I I'm going to press you Because I think it is going to be that one of the critical Questions that come up I think that the point they're making is that they're not Changing the free movement uh, Or the principle of free movement at all It's simply it's a national decision About who you pay benefits To, under what circumstances Whether people need to make a contribution or not and that that is fundamentally different from the principle of of mobility and of free movement.
3: Yeah, sure, but but you're right. But this is this is, the, for example, the question for the Polish uh, for the Polish citizens working in the UK, uh, if they are uh, treated on an equal basis with the with the, with the British citizens who who, um, who work there. So, and if you, for example, it, and I think it refers to the. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the uh, child benefits it refers to other uh, you know aspects of family policy um, but it also refers to the uh, you know how you treat the unemployed people and and so on so this is it. once you earn your money in in uh, in Britain and you pay taxes there this is this is the the question uh, and this is this is the i think the fundamental thing for the for the polish citizens uh and it will be very difficult for the Polish government to explain um, no. uh, to, to to the polish citizens any concessions um, in this in this realm because and one thing you, you also need to to to, to uh, take into account in order to understand you know these polish uh, um, uh, concerns is that the uh, freedom of movement oh, and in particular the uh, uh, possibility to find work uh, in the UK and in other, in other uh, European countries, and considering Poland to be one of the main advantages of the European integration after 2004, yeah. uh, and, and this is so this is a very sensitive issue. I mean, for 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 that very reason,
0: absolutely. Are there things? Because um, <clears throat> be good to hear from from Sylvia about the the other aspects of migration, which is the non-EU migrants. But if Britain wants to persuade Poland. To go for some kind of change of benefit rules, such as that which I described earlier. What are there things that Poland wants from Britain which could be used to sweeten the the kind of um, the the pill? No, I think you know we have
3: lots of um, uh, common interests. Basically, you know the the uh, for example the, um, uh, the common market for services um digitalization agenda and then digital market this is everything where, where, where with regard to the to the single market issues where where poland and 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 the u k on the same page so basically there is not lack of of um, of uh, common interest between the u k um and, and and poland we can also subscribe certainly to many other Mm, uh, demands or wishes uh, of the UK, but what what uh, people in Poland really do not understand is that, uh, is the link between the fulfilment of this demand and the question of of uh, of the UK staying in the UK in in the EU or not. So this is this is something, but it's a more general issue. But I think uh th- that will be uh, clearly the most sensitive uh the the migration issue and and the uh, uh social policy this is uh, the most contentious issue between the u k and poland and i at, at the moment uh i i don't see mm, um, uh, much more flexibility on the Polish side the, than before the election, but it might, of course, it might change because um, I think w- w- Poland is clearly very interested in 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 the UK staying in the EU. But we uh, would uh, need a very clear um, set of uh, of. of Clear demands and and, and uh, from from the from the UK government and I, I noticed that uh, in in June uh, today there was information that the UK government is going to present a list of concrete um, wishes and um, I think certainly the Polish government is very much looking forward to. It.
0: Okay, we're running out of time, so I'll ask the other two to come in briefly. I mean, Sylvia, the. My experience talking to Italians is that you're slightly puzzled at this focus on mobility within the EU. Your big migration questions are about third country nationals turning up in Lampedusa. How how is Italy going to view all of these debates on migration, particularly given that Britain's not been that keen on supporting um, either search and rescue missions in the Mediterranean or having some sort of quotas for, for receiving refugees
2: Yes, it is a huge <coughs> a huge topic, a huge problem, obviously, even though, again, there are 600,000 Italians in the UK. So that, is, as you mentioned before, <coughs> is going to be a topic also for, I mean, the internal dimension of migration is going to be a topic for Italy too, not only for the eastern countries. Having said that, going to the other dimension of migration, coming from a third countries and especially from... Um, from africa we cannot say from north africa we have to say from africa and then there is uh, you know the bottleneck uh, of uh, of libya and uh, and then uh, there is uh, what what we we keep on seeing in the in the mediterranean, mediterranean waters um, it is a hot topic uh, there is a lot of concern especially for the uk uh, position Um, I think Cameron already said that he refuses the proposal from the high representative of uh, the split of quotas, And uh, this is, of course, a big concern. Uh, I think Cameron also went beyond that. He also said, "Okay, we can rescue people uh, who are drawing in the Mediterranean waters, but we then uh, will give these people to the Italians. We are not keeping these people in our boats or... Uh, with us, uh, so this, of course, is also from a humanitarian perspective, uh, very, very difficult to, to accept and to digest. Um, Italy is in the situation, especially in the island uh, of, uh, for example, Lampedusa, just to make an example, in an extremely overcrowded, uh, human- non-humanitarian non-human- uh, situation. Um, so there is an emergency, obviously, and Italy uh, definitely feels alone in all this. There has been uh, some progress perhaps from the European Council, I'm not so sure about that, uh, have been repeating over and over again that what has been approved at the European Council is a little bit of a hypocrisy in the sense that there is no uh, search and rescue mandate. On uh, They have tripled uh, the tri- Triton uh, funding. But tribal means nine millions. It doesn't mean a huge amount of money. It means what precisely the same amount of money that Mare Nostrum envisaged only for Italy uh, in one month, nine million. Now we have Triton, nine million. Yeah. It was three million before. Uh,
0: I think, yeah, no, no. I yeah, mean, it's but I think,
2: uh, in, in this sense, uh, and at the end of the day, the point is that at the end of the day, the Italians are doing what they were doing before. That is the frustration. Yeah. Italians are, I mean, only in one weekend, uh, the Italian uh, navy was able to save seven thousand people on, in one weekend. So obviously, Italians are keeping uh, the job, uh, but they feel to be left alone. And this, I have to say, much has to do with the UK position.
0: So we're going to have to get you back, Sylvia, for a special uh, World in 30 Minutes on the Mediterranean <laughs> know, crisis. Because so so I think it is going to be a huge deal, particularly in the run-up to the to the June Council. But we're running out of time. So, Josef, I'm going to go to you for your kind of last thoughts on, on this question. Because in a way um berlin is going to have to hold the ring on this um and you know i think if poland is going to shift one of the reasons one of the things that will persuade it to shift on uh some of these issues might be german pressure but also you find yourself on the opposite side of britain on the cold question of quotas as well i mean how much has? uh yeah anyway what are your final thoughts on the migration issue
1: well there's there's not much sympathy for the British position, even though there is there's a recognition in Germany, because Germany also has inward benefits. Um, there is a recognition that one has to look at the issue, uh, it has to be fair, uh, but also the German view is that this issue has been with us uh, ever since the creation of the single market. The idea of mo- mobility, freedom of movement uh, not being... Uh, uh, interpreted in a way that it misuses uh, social systems of other member states. And there's a lot of rules on this. So the German position would be, let's look at these rules and let's see uh, whether they they deal with the situation adequately. And if there is then a consensus in the European Council about the application of rules that, that helps Britain deal with its problem, uh, Germany would probably not be the country objecting to it. But I would believe that there would be some in the German government, who doubt that uh, uh, all of the rules that Britain would wish for it would stand in the European Court of Justice uh, because they they are not in line with the treaty. So this there's a certain dilemma on this. Germany would not want a uh, treaty change on that, but if an agreement or an arrangement is possible, uh, it would not uh, fail because of Germany. On the migration from third countries, the Germans see themselves pretty, very much in a... In in uh, in a bow together with Italy even though they don't really appreciate that situation because they feel that the that the uh, uh, inability uh, in the south to deal with the massive flow of refugees basically leads to a secondary effect in countries such as Germany and Sweden but given the size and the location of Germany mostly uh, in Germany Um, and so all of the uh, moves around EU governments to say where We think we should do something, but uh, uh, we don't want, as member states, we don't want to accept uh, a part of the burden, which means that effectively uh, saying, you Italians and you Germans or Swedes, uh, you have to live with it. You know? And this is, this is not a, a, a position or a, a perception that is um, conducive to finding a compromise on this.
0: Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, saying that that's your problem, but now help us with ours. It's also not going to be a very convincing uh, narrative from from David Cameron's government. Well, I think there's lots uh, which we've started talking about here, which are going to dominate the agenda over the next few months as Britain presents its uh, requests and demands and suggestions and ideas for reform to other member states. And we see uh, a process of... Uh, intergovernmental negotiations taking place which at some point are going to have to be wrapped up into a kind of nice clean package which Cameron can then take back to his party and show that um, uh, he has managed to eke out of uh, his colleagues in other EU countries which will form the basis of the referendum uh, here We will, I'm sure, be returning to this topic in the future, but I think this is a a great um, start to what I think will be a pan-European conversation, because uh, the British problem is now a European problem, and until it's resolved one way or another, I think we'll end up dominating quite a lot of uh, attention, time, and create a lot of frustration in different places over the months ahead. We are writing things on that um, at ECFR all the time, and we'll put links to some of the pieces that we've done on this topic on our page on the internet. But we now have one final uh, segment of the podcast, which is our our bookshelf. Uh, Sylvia, what are you reading at the moment? What's on your bookshelf?
2: I've been a little bit on and off uh, with a book which is not very recent, but I think is a very stimulating book, which is... uh, Hard choices by Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I say on and off because you know this. It is divided into different chapters. So as soon as you want to know the history behind a specific topic, which could be Iran, uh, Libya, and Syria, and the and the pivot people to to China, etc., you just go back to that specific chapter. So I find that fascinating. what I find fascinating about that book is that. Um, it's uh it it really um uh, it is uh very illustrative of uh, how things were dealt with and sometimes it gives you an insight a perspective it looks like you have you were there in the different negotiations and also in the uh, you know less transparent uh, i mean things that we don't know otherwise so i think it is an interesting book and I, i'm saying this also in the light of uh, the in the run-up of the elections in the in the U.S., it would be interesting whether to see Hillary Clinton changes her will change her mind or not vis-à-vis some mm-hmm. of uh, the top issues. For example, she was uh, the one who really wanted the Iran sanction the sanctions on Iran. Uh, she really fought for them, and it would be very interesting to see in the moment when and if uh, we are going to have an agreement uh, with Iran, uh, what is going to be her position, whether she's going to bring uh, the Iranian situation, the Iranian question beyond the nuclear deal. And uh, that's um, something I'm very curious about.
0: Great, thank you. W- what about you, Josef? What, what's on your bookshelf at the moment?
1: Well, I, I got in Barcelona yesterday uh, a copy of uh, our colleagues, uh, Jose Ignacio Torreblanca's book, Asaltar los Cielos, uh, which is about Podemos, and it tries to explain uh, where it comes from, what it affects, and and how it will change uh, Spanish politics. I think it's a very timely book. I struggle uh, reading it because my Spanish is practically non-existing, but I've already finished the concluding chapter of it because I wanted to see what his perspective was. And uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting book. Uh, it's going to be one of those topics to watch uh, this year, as Spain moves uh, towards general elections, um, and uh, this will be another one of those cases where where uh, Europe either will be weaker afterwards, the uh, or stronger afterwards.
0: So I've been reading lots of very global books at the moment, but the thing I'll mention now is something which I think will be helpful for people who want to understand the, the migration uh, debate in Britain a bit more clearly. And it's a paper by Open Europe, which is one of the think tanks that's been driving the conservative reform agenda called How to Save EU Free Movement, Make it Fair to Keep it Free which has a huge amount of detail on this whole question of Mm in-work benefits and lots of tables showing how much different people get paid in different countries. And that is, uh, I think, a very, very good reflection of the thinking within the Conservative government about these issues and what they're going to try to achieve. So that brings us to the end of the podcast from Silvia Francescon and... Um, Josef Janning and Piotr Baras and myself Mark Leonard in London it's goodbye for now the editor of ECFR's um, podcast is Katerina Botel and there'll be links to all of the things that we mention on our website at www.ecfr.eu